Well, good morning. Once again, it's good to see you. I'm going to try this one more time. Still not great. technical difficulties and um, I can see that I can tell you that uh, we are going uh, I didn't grow higher if you're with us online uh, Matt and I didn't just get taller this week but um, as you can see as we grow into our new space here at City Church we are slowly but surely making additions and changes uh, just to um, help us uh, as we worship as we gather together to utilize this beautiful place uh, more faithfully and um, so we're just grateful that you're here with us and thank you for your patience um, as we grow into this and we grow into so many things um, that we're walking through. This morning uh, we are continuing our study from Matthew chapter 5 um, on the Sermon on the Mount and our focus and our attention as Ms. Lane read for us um, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12. And if you were with us last week, you know that we said that Jesus closed his, uh, this teaching or began to close this teaching with this final beatitude from verse 10, which says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But this, this was the final statement of beatitudes. This was the closing of that. But here in verse 11 and 12, we have another statement of blessing. And if you remember even from Lane's translation, it doesn't start with the blessed are you. In that translation, it starts putting the blessing you are blessed. Making a little bit of a differentiator in this statement from verses 11 and 12. In verse 11 and 12 are essentially, as we said last week, I told you that you're probably going to think it's not quite over yet. There's another blessing there. This is a, an application of sorts of verse 10. In this final beatitude of verse 10, he pronounced blessing on those who, like him, would be persecuted for living out God's calling on their life, for looking like Jesus. He promised that persecution would come. And if you remember, Jesus is giving this teaching, saying this prior to the cross. And so his promise of persecution, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, was first fulfilled or first realized when he went to the cross. And then we also remember that he taught us in Matthew chapter 10, later he would say that we are not better than our master. If he was persecuted, if he would be led to the cross, why would we think that our lives would be different? If we look like Jesus, the world will not like it. Those who are not Christians will persecute us. We're reminded through this that Jesus was not admired in his day. He wasn't thought of sometimes as he's referred to in our present modern era as he was a good teacher, a, a good and faithful man. No, he was rejected, despised and rejected as the great prophet said. And we're reminded that one of the greatest hindrances to us to living as Christ would call us to live, to these statements that should define us, all of the Beatitudes that have preceded this statement, is fear of man, concern for what others might think over concern for God and His purposes. These statements of Beatitudes of blessing, supreme blessing for living out, being a Christian, defining a Christian, are given to us by Jesus to teach us what it looks like to live like him. But when we do, we know that challenge, pain will come. And how often we shrink back from that. I was reminded last night our church 
sponsors Hope Women's Center, a pregnancy center um, that serves women and girls who are facing pregnancy and crisis in the midst of pregnancy. And we're so thankful for the work they do in McKinney. And we were able to attend a benefit concert. Many of us were able to be a part of that last week. And as they closed last night, uh, my friend Aaron, who is one of the leaders of that great ministry, reminded us how we shrink back against the in terms of this fight for life that we're called to as Christians to live out why do we shrink back from that because we don't want to be persecuted because we fear man we fear the world but Jesus promised that that is what would come when we stood for Christ when we live for him when these blessings define us these statements of Jesus when they define who we are the world will come against us And Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he gave a warning for us as we're tempted to consider the thoughts of man and be more concerned with what other people might think of us rather than what God would think of us. Woe to you, he says in Luke 6 verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That's a challenge. Woe to you when all people speak well of you and just consider your own life. And I'll just be really transparent here. When I think about myself, I know that I want all people to speak well of me. I do not like being unliked. I do not like being in a place where someone might have something against me, especially if it's not true, but even more so if it's just who I am. I don't want that to be who I am. And Jesus says, woe to me. If all people are going to speak well of you, Ryan, remember, there are going to be people who hate you and despise you for living as Christ called you to live. And I just have to reconcile that. That's hard for me. I expect for some of you, it's hard for others of you. You just have been given this gift of, I don't care. I'm doing it. And I'm proud of you. Just, I want to encourage you and bless you in Jesus name that you can live that way. But some of us struggle with this. Now, don't let all people speak ill of you because you're a jerk, but let all people realize that all people will not speak well of us when we live like Jesus, when they see Jesus in us, it will cause them concern. It will cause their worldview to be shaken and rocked a little bit, so much so that they're going to push back against it because it's not really about us. They're not mad or angry at us. They're mad. They're concerned. They're fearful of what if what I know in the depth of my soul, this is them speaking, God is real. And this person is reminding me of that and reminding me of what it looks like to follow him, to live for him. This is once again, by by the way, why it's so necessary that we have one another, that we live with one another, that we lift one another up, that we spur each other along, encouraging one another and spend time together, that we uh, have community with one another. Because we're going to be hated. We're going to be looked down upon by the world. We need one another. One of the reasons that the Christian church in so many other parts of the world outside of America is so strong and so vibrant is because the Christians know that their family, their faith family is all that they have. The government, other people, everything is pushing down against their way of life, against what they believe. And so they huddle up and they focus and they seek the Lord together. 
It's a beautiful picture. It's why I love going to other places of the world. It reminds me of what the Christian church is called to be. It should also, though, concern us all that perhaps the American church has lost some of that. That we don't need one another as we should need one another. We don't rely on one another as we should rely on one another. We don't focus on living life together, realizing that because of the darkness that is in the world, when light shows up and expels that darkness, there's going to be pushback. So as Jesus closes this portion of his great sermon here in verse 11 and 12, he's expounding for his disciples, applying this last statement in verse 10, sort of reminding them of what it looks like to live for him. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, expanding upon persecuted for righteousness sake and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he gives this very concerning statement. I don't know how we're supposed to do this. Only by his spirit can we do this or could they do this. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad in the midst of people uttering all kinds of evil against you, hating you, persecuting you. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. Talking to his disciples, he calls them, he he defines them as blessed for the coming persecution that they will face. As he expands on this statement, he helps us to understand a little bit more what he means by blessed are the righteous, or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When we say we believe in Christ, we can talk about Christian values. We can even share our Christian testimony. But here's what I've learned about my own life. It's only when this life in Christ... When I I then take that out into the world and interact with other people, do I really understand what I believe? And that's really true of all of life, isn't it? We can say what we want. We can think this. This is, we can define ourselves in this way. It's only when we get out into the battle. You know, the football team coaches tell us this is who we're, who we are. We are a running team. We are going to pound it down their throat. We are going to just run, 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 run. And every now and again, we'll you know, do a little play action, kind of mix it up for you. But we're going to run. And then they meet a defensive line that will stop that run and stop that run. And then you really know, do you really believe that? Is that really who you are? That's a little silly example from just a, the world that shows us. is When we come against the opposition, when we face that persecution... We will know for sure what we really believe. The first thing that we know and we hope that we would know as we face this persecution, as we face pushback and challenges, is that we as Christians are very different. We look different than the world. And if not, again, this is something we should sort of balance in our minds. Do we look very different? We can ask ourselves a question with all of these statements. Again, Jesus said that we would be persecuted for righteousness' sake. They would utter all kinds of evil in the next statement on my account because of who I am. There's a lot of hurts out in the world. There's a lot of challenging things that exist there. But true persecution, what Jesus is talking about here, speaking of, is persecution that comes from looking different than the world, being so radically different than all of the rest of the world that it causes Confusion, it causes frustration, it even can cause anger. He's telling us that we will be reviled, 
Because the world sees how different we are. And again, within our context, I'm concerned. It worries me, not just our church, but the American church as a whole, how we have syncretized. That's a a, a big word that is exactly what Jesus or what God, excuse me, was concerned about with Israel. That they would move into these parts of the world and they would just integrate themselves with all of the people of the world. That's why God said, expel them all. Get them out of my kingdom. Push them out. Because you're not to live like they are. You're not to do the same things that they do. You're not to follow the same false gods that they follow. And how often we've just sinked right in. Thinking that that's our way to reach more people. When God says we are to look different than the world. That we are to be light as we talked about last week. And our light goes into the dark places and expels it. That's why Jesus said he would ultimately, he would cause division. Father, son, mother, daughter, families, friends would be divided over following him, looking like Jesus. Again, I'm not speaking here, I know in our context, this is not political division. This is division over the pursuit of righteousness. Saying what Jesus would say, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because of Jesus. Clearly, the Christian, as we think about who we are, looks very different than the world. Secondly, we live for Christ. This is what defines us. We no longer live in fear of man and looking to please man and trying to just integrate ourselves into the world in such a way that we can kind of just get along without being known. Have you ever found yourself just sort of wanting to skirt by a little bit? This is a silly story, and perhaps he's watching this, but I recently bought a new bike. And I bought a bike. I, I shop at a certain bicycle shop, and, and I uh, spend a lot of you know, my time there. I'm good friends with the leadership, the ownership, and the management of that shop. I love it, and I'll refer you. If you ever need a bicycle and you come to me, I'll kind of send you down their way more than likely. I'll take you in there. But I happened to buy a bicycle, and I didn't buy it from my bike shop. I got it from another place. And I show up on my ride, and I'm like, I hope he doesn't see me. I hope he doesn't notice my bicycle because it's, I, don't, I, I don't want to offend. Remember, I fear man. I want to please him. I'm a good friend. And so I didn't want to let him know that I got a new bike. So I'm kind of just, you know, skirting around trying to avoid him. Is that how we live our life as Christians? We call to look differently and live differently and be so different that the world might even be hateful towards us or push back against us. And we would rather just say, let me just get along. Let me just sort of, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to step too closely into that mess. I don't want to be offensive or any of those sorts of things. Maybe they just won't notice that I'm a Christ follower. That's a personal thing anyway. None of that looks like what Jesus is defining here. Yes, it is a personal thing, but it is a revelation to the world. We are the body of Christ. Christ left and went. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill us so that we might go into the world and shine his light. So that other people might know him. How hateful is it for us to shrink back from that and say out of fear, out of concern for you. I don't want to tell you the hope of the world that I have in my life. How much do we really, again, considering the opposition, think to ourselves or end up really living out a life that says, I don't really believe the gospel. Because if I did believe the gospel, I would know that it's the only hope that I have in life. Jesus is all for me. And if he is all for me, then he better be all for my friends. That's what they need. And so 
We live differently and we live for Christ. He is our only aim. We submit our lives completely to Jesus. He is our king. He and only he is our king. As he promised the Christian, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed as he closes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for they are citizens of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is who we, where we reside. We are citizens of that kingdom. And so as we live for Christ, we also finally, our eyes are on his coming kingdom. And this is why he could say, rejoice and be glad. We know that we are going to live differently as Christians than non-believers because we live for Christ alone. And our attention and our hope is steadfastly. Remember that word, friends, steadfastly. It's an important word, meaning enduring and forever and unshaken steadfastly. Our hope is on his coming kingdom, our true home. He says, rejoice for your reward is in heaven. Guess what? The prophets were persecuted too. How did they endure as they were persecuted for pointing to this Messiah who would one day come to redeem the world? Their eyes were fixed on the kingdom of God. They were looking forward to that coming kingdom. And this is another difference of the way we live The man who is a friend of this world does all he can do to not think of life beyond this life. Again, how how much do we try to avoid the conversation of death to thinking about anything in the future? We want to just keep our eyes here doing all that we can. We're tempted. And the non-believer, those who have no hope in Christ, they don't want it. And they will find any means to avoid looking at the future or considering that future. But Christians, friends, no, we don't rejoice in death, but we are consumed constantly thinking about that future kingdom. Rather than trying to avoid this conversation and any thought that would lead us to think about the future, we are filled with thoughts of the future kingdom of God where our hope is and our reward is. And we rejoice and are glad. So this is what we are to do. We are to rejoice, not in persecution, by the way. We talked about that last week. Don't have a persecution complex where you go around looking for persecution and thinking, well, this is how I know I'm doing God's will. No, we don't rejoice in persecution. We rejoice in the fact that we know that that persecution will end and that we are being persecuted for being like Jesus. Rejoice in persecution when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. When they're uttering all kinds of evil against you for his name being marked on your life. Looking like Jesus. We remember our reward. We rejoice knowing that we have a reward that far outweighs the suffering in this life. Paul said to the Corinthian church, this light momentary affliction pales in comparison to the weight of glory that is waiting for us. And when, as I say that, and as Paul said that, he wasn't making light of our current frustration, our current hurt, our current grieves, those things that pain us. But what he was saying is that no matter what it is, there's a weight of glory. 
You know, we feel weighted down when we are burdened by sin, when we are burdened by something broken in our life, when we are burdened by somebody maybe hating us or persecuting us. The weight of glory that will one day weigh on us will far outweigh that. It will make this life light, feel as if it was nothing. This is, by the way, what Jesus did. Notice it says in, the Hebrew, in Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He kept his eyes on his coming kingdom. He kept his eyes on all of us. His mind was on you when he went to the cross. And as his mind was on you, he endured looking to a future when he would redeem you and he would call you his child and one day ultimately welcome you home. That's what Jesus did. And so we, like Jesus, again, trying to always follow Jesus, we keep our eyes on him. We keep our eyes on the future. And that's ultimately what we do. We keep our eyes on Christ. He is our reward. It's often said, he's not the means to the end. Sometimes we think, I want this, and Jesus is the sort of way to get there. This is how I'll accomplish what I want to accomplish. That's why so often we sort of just mix a little Jesus into whatever we're doing. Thinking as if, you know, if I add, you know, it's like the perfect ingredient in a salad. Candied pecans. You take any salad, you add candied pecans, and you're going to have a good salad. Now you leave the candied pecans out, you might have just sort of an average salad. We kind of think of Jesus in that way. Life is going along, dealing with challenges, whatever it is that we're dealing with. Well, we'll just sprinkle a little Jesus in there. That'll make everything better. That's not what Jesus is. That's not who he is. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And if he is not Lord of Lord and King of Kings, then he is nothing in your life. But he is. And so we keep our eyes on him. He is our hope. So as we close, and we're not done with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to continue teaching us all about life. But as we close this section of Beatitudes, I just want to tell you, I pray, we have prayed as elders, and we'll continue to pray with all our hearts that this portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, would define us. City Church would be defined by these statements. That we would be Christians. And that we would be on mission to see the world filled with more Christians. And we would take that responsibility upon ourselves. And they're going to be filled with more Christians, not by our arguing them into heaven. But by us presenting the gospel and living lives that reflect a Jesus, the true Christ, the Messiah who is gracious and merciful. And so we're going to receive communion. And again, as Pastor Kyle said, we haven't had the opportunity to do this in quite some time and it's our first time to be able to receive communion here in our new building and so just a special day at least in our hearts a day that we will remember but i want to just give you some instructions as again this is the first time that we've done this um, on how we are going to receive communion and then we're going to spend some time reflecting on these beatitudes as we receive from the lord first the instructions the bread and the juice are in little, what I call, COVID cups. (laughs) Safely partitioned off so we don't have to share bread or juice. And I just want to make a point that Pat reminded me of. Make sure the bread is on the little side. So don't open the juice and then try to get your bread out later because your juice will be poured out. 
So, as we receive communion, though, there is communion elements spread out around the room. If you're near the front of the room, I'm going to just ask that you would come to these front tables. If you're sort of near the back side of the room, you can go to the back corners there on the left and, and right there. If you need gluten-free, there's gluten-free right here and gluten-free right there, I think. There's a little sign that defines gluten-free, so look for that, and you can receive the elements. And as we come in at this church, as we receive communion, we, we do this. We don't file off by aisles. Matt's going to lead us in some, uh, some worship. And just as the spirit moves, we just invite you to stand and go take and get the elements and then go back to your seats and we'll take this all together. But if I could just sort of refocus our attention after that little moment of instruction on the words of Christ. Um, Jesus, he instructed us to not take communion um, in an unworthy manner, Paul defines that, expounds upon that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And all that means is, is that to, to receive from the Lord, you must be a Christian. Because we're taking this as a remembrance of what Christ has done on our behalf. So you don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion. But what God's word would say is that you must be a Christian. You must receive in a worthy manner. And so I just want to invite you, perhaps this morning, and if you're gathering with us online, you might not receive communion, you might not even have anything together, but you can just reflect as we pray through this. I'm going to just walk us through the Beatitudes once again and remember what Jesus has done. And if this morning you don't know that you're a Christian, Jesus gave us the first statement, the answer to that, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All that is required for you to be a Christian is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty, that you have nothing to offer God, and that Christ came, lived this life, all of these beatitudes defined him. He lived a perfect life going to the cross because God, his wrath, his his punishment against sin had to be dealt with. And where we could not ever satisfy God, Jesus stood in our place. He laid down his life for us on the cross. And three days later, he rose up again, conquering sin and death for all time. So if you, for the first time this morning, perhaps the seeds of the gospel have just been marinating in your heart for years, weeks, months, or just a few moments or days, go to the Lord as we bow our heads and just acknowledge that we are spiritually destitute without Christ and put your hope in him. And his promise to you is you will be welcomed as a citizen of the kingdom. There's no other religious activity you need to do. There's nothing that you could ever do to earn that. It's accepting the gift of his grace and mercy. For those of us that are Christians, I'm just going to say, let us bow our heads. I'm just going to read these over us as we reflect before we receive communion. Perhaps this will be a prayer. And again, if you're with us online, you can just pray with us. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord Jesus, we grieve our sinfulness. We confess our sin. And we thank you for your promise that we shall be comforted. And I pray that all of us in this room this morning would experience the comfort of your grace and mercy as we confess our sin to you before receiving from you.
Blessed are the meek. Lord, acknowledging our sin, we are humbled that you would give us a future, an inheritance that's promised. So we just thank you, Lord. We just come before you in meekness and humility, thanking you for the way you love us. Help us to be humble servants. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is perhaps our greatest need. Help us by your spirit to lose a taste for this world and to hunger and thirst for you, for your righteousness. Fulfill your promise to us as we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord, would you satisfy us? Fill us with yourself. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As you fill us with your spirit, Lord, as you satisfy our souls, would you help us to be a people who are merciful, who are pure in heart, quickly confessing our sins before you, who are peacemakers, seeking the good of others above the good of ourselves. In doing so, Lord Jesus, let your light shine in this dark world. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Lord, keep our eyes on you, even now as we receive from your table, reminded of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Give us more of yourself. Let us rejoice and be glad in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matt's going to lead us and we'll receive from the Lord's table.
we said, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 reminds us of receiving from the Lord what he received from the Lord. Teaching us how to receive from Christ. Looking to Christ alone. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are great divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those that are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together... Eat, it's not the eat of the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating it, each one goes ahead in his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. He's talking about this division. Then he defines what we receive from the Lord. Not the division of the Lord, but we receive unity in the Lord. Verse 23. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. And that the Lord Jesus taught in the night when he was betrayed. He took the bread and when he gave it, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was given for us. And we, it brings new life in him. So let's receive from the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to remind us of that last statement. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That we would remember what Christ has done once and for all, laying his life down on the cross until he comes, keeping our eyes fixed on him, our reward in heaven. And we proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection as we live those statements, those statements of blessing out in the world. So let us pray. As we remember what Christ has done for us, let's pray and ask him to help us to proclaim him to the world. Lord Jesus, once again, in humility, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We bless your name. You, your name is the name that is above all names. And we thank you. Humbly thank you for your mercy. And we ask that for your help to let us live as Christians live. Let us live as who we are in you, proclaiming your life, your love, your mercy, your grace, your taking your light into a dark and broken world. And help us to remain faithful to do it daily moment by moment until you finally come again and we keep our eyes on you we keep our eyes on that day Lord Jesus we love you we praise you in Jesus name amen I'm dropping everything today as we close I just want to give you one reminder excuse me two reminders 
after our 1030 service. And so I know you're here with us early. If you want to go have brunch and then come back and have lunch, um, you can come back around noon. Uh, we will be kicking off in our cafe, our City Church 101, an opportunity for you to just get to know our faith family, get to learn a little bit about our church. And obviously, that's the first step towards becoming a covenant partner within our church. Uh, I also, this Saturday on at 8 a.m., right here in our new building, men, we're having another men's breakfast. Um, this time, uh, we won't put you to work. Uh, we got a reprieve from Mr. Garrett so we could just have breakfast and uh, just enjoy some fellowship together. So guys, be here at eight o'clock, get to know other guys, hang out, um, just build that community, spur one another on. Uh, It will be a great time of fellowship and encouragement in the Lord. And then next Sunday, the next day on the 25th at 5 p.m., you heard uh, Frank uh, remind us his community night. So we'll be having chili. We're going to have a hayride. We'll have pumpkin decorating. Just a great time for you to bring your neighbors, bring your friends, perhaps gathering them and encouraging them to come to worship with you. Maybe it's been a challenge. They're a little bit timid. They're not sure what that would look like. Get them in here on community night. Bring a friend with you and just let them experience the love of this Christian fellowship and what it looks like and let Christ shine through that. And so be with us next Sunday evening at five o'clock as well. Until then, love you guys to see you back here at noon for those that can join us and we'll see you, uh, the rest of you on uh, Sunday. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.